Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 813 of the Juice Box Podcast. This episode snuck up on me. I know that's hard to imagine because I recorded it and then I edited it and then I put these ads on it and you'd think, well, Scott, how could it sneak up on you? You've heard it four times. But I mean, I don't know how to tell you it. It just, it kind of, it starts in my remembrance. It feels like it starts, it just builds. It builds. This episode, I should have said this episode builds. This episode builds. Today's uh, today's guest is Bailey. She's a young person who has type 1 diabetes. Um, and she's been through a lot. She has a ton of resilience and, and uh, some... Some wisdom beyond her years. I know I'm thumfering through this, but you just want to listen to this whole conversation. It's it's wonderful. But it'll sneak up on you a little bit. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. You know that I wanted to really explain this because I forgot to mention the T1D exchange, so... I must really like this episode. Today's episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Dexcom, makers of the Dexcom G6, and coming in 2023 to the United States, but already available in Europe, Dexcom G7. Learn more and get started today at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. The podcast is also sponsored today by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod 5. You can learn more about the Omnipod 5 and get started today, or learn more about the Omnipod Dash and see if you're eligible for a free 30-day trial at omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. My name is Bailey, and I am 26 years old. I have been type 1 since I was 11 years old, and I've been through a lot. <laughs> been through a pretty you know, trialist and tribulous journey with it. And, you know, still here, still kicking. So, <laughs> well, all right, Bailey, let's hear about it. So you were diagnosed 15 years ago when you were 11. Yeah. Um, yeah. More than half my life. <laughs> is that how you think about it? Yeah, actually. Yeah, I do. I look at that and I'm like, holy cow, I can't believe it doesn't feel like it's been more than half my life, but it has been, which is crazy to me. So is it upsetting or comforting that it's been more than half of your life? Oh, that is such a hard question. Um, I would say in some ways, I don't know if upsetting is the right word. I think it's more or less just like the whole grieving process um, that comes with, you know, having a chronic illness that, you know, is never going to go away and there's no cure for. Yeah. Um, and so I think for me, it's more or less just like, the grieving aspect of it. Um, but also like a proud moment that like I've survived and I've been through so much and I've been so resilient and been able to come back from so much as well. Yeah. So, well, okay. So when you were diagnosed at 11, you lived at home mm -hmm. with your parents of some way, mm -hmm. I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you remember about being diagnosed? Oh, so, um, diabetes actually runs in my family. Um, which is interesting because I've talked to quite a few people who are type one and most of their 
family isn't diabetic. And so I grew up in a single mom household. My parents were divorced when I was six years old. Mm-hmm. And my mom, her brother had type one diabetes and she knew all of the symptoms. And so I got diagnosed over Labor Day weekend um, in 2007 and my mom had started to notice, you know, the classic symptoms, the weight loss, the thirst, the grumpiness, the tiredness, the lethargic, you know, all of that. Um, my mom said that she just knew when I started to take like water bottles to bed with me and I would wake up in the morning and they were gone. Like all the water was gone from them. Um, I think I went from weighing like 80 pounds down to like 69 pounds. Um, and at this point in time I was in fifth almost, no, I was in sixth grade. And so for me, um, you know, my mom's brother who's type one, um, I grew up really close with him actually, um, because my dad didn't live very close to where I grew up Mm -hmm. and I didn't see him very often. And so my mom's brother was really honestly like my, like my dad to me. Yeah. And so even before I was diagnosed, um, you know, he would, he, he wouldn't take care of himself. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there'd be times when I would overhear, you know, my grandma and my mom talking in in the kitchen, you know, about how, you know, they had to call the ambulance for my uncle Kinnigan and, you know, y'all he's in the hospital or, you know, he just didn't take great care of himself. And so when I got diagnosed, there was some kind of like a preconceived trauma for me that I was going to end up like him. Yeah. I, I really thought I was going to die when I was diagnosed. And is he, still, the, is he still with us? No, no. How, how, no. how old was he when he passed away? He was in his fifties, I believe. Was 50s. it? Was mm-hmm. it complications yeah. of diabetes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately he, uh, didn't take the best care of himself and he, had to get a kidney and a pancreas transplant. Uh, and this actually happened after I was diagnosed. Um, so I, at that point in time, I was already diagnosed with diabetes when he'd gotten his transplant. Oh my. Um, and he just didn't do well after and ended up dying when I was, I want to say 16 or 17. So this, um, and yeah. So to you, his experience felt like foreshadowing he's the ghost of Christmas future. You think this is exactly what's going to happen. A thousand percent. Okay. A thousand percent. And so, and I, you know, it took me years actually to realize that that was what, like, cause I knew that I had a lot of anxiety around the diabetes. I, I mean, I always did. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it took me years to unravel that I realized that you know, just seeing those things as, as a child really did affect me, you know, thinking that that is going to be me, you know, and that I, like, I just automatically felt like, oh my gosh, I'm going to end up doing that. And that's going to be who I'm going to be. And so when I, when I got diagnosed, I got a lot of anxiety that came with that. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, being raised by a single mom, she tried to do the best that she could. But I mean, <laughs> you have, you have brothers and sisters. I do, yeah. So I have one biological brother, mm-hmm. and then I've got four other siblings. I've got two step siblings and two half siblings, and my all of my other siblings are with my dad and my stepmom. Okay. And so my mom 
just raised my older brother and I okay. together. Mm-hmm. So can I ask, how? do you know how old your uncle was when he was diagnosed? Um, I think he was in his late teens when he was diagnosed. And you said there are there other people in your family with type there 1 as well? There are. Who else? Yeah. So most of the other people in my family are type 2. Okay. Um, so my mom has five kids in her family total and four of the five were either type one or type two. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then on my dad's side, I've got type two that also runs and then a cousin that also has type one. Um, it's kind of interesting. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, Oh, sorry. No, no. I I I was just saying that it's interesting because my mom was actually doing genealogy in our family and was able to trace back to one of my great grandpas during the civil war. And they had documented that he had diabetes. And so I've actually got a picture of him and I'm actually named after his daughter, which is kind of interesting and kind of creepy at the same time. Wow. And did he (laughs) pass early? He did. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was pretty young when he died. So. Yeah. I mean, type one civil war. When the hell was this? All right. Mm -hmm. Now you're, now you're going to show up that I don't pay attention to school. Hold on a second. War years. (laughs) I'm going to have to Google that one. Civil War years. What the heck? Why does it not just pop up what I want, Bailey? I I mean, (laughs) like, I am at the part where I'm like, I want to just yell, machine, do it. Uh, Okay, the Civil War timeline, 1861 to 1865. Yeah, and it's actually documented on actual, like, Civil War paperwork. This um, past year... When uh, we had the 100th year of the insulin discovery, I had made a special post on my Instagram and posted a photo of him and a photo of the doc. <coughs> excuse me, of the documentation. Yeah. All right. Don't Sorry. die, Bailey. Yeah, <laughs> no, okay? you're good. I just <laughs> got a breath of like really dry air. <laughs> Trust me. I know what you're talking about. You okay? So, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so you actually yeah, have, you I have, have that. paperwork that mm-hmm. shows him to be to have diabetes from the 18 yeah. from the 1800s yeah yep crazy. yeah it's pretty cool pretty crazy stuff but even how how crazy is it that he basically he missed i mean it's by a lot but in the grand scheme of things he missed insulin by what like maybe almost maybe around 60 years right i know right yeah well and it's interesting to think about you know how diabetes and this is something that i just think every day that I'm very lucky to live when I when I do because it would have been a death diagnosis. I mean, getting sent off to be in a coma and just literally die after, you know, at the most after like two years where they just starve you essentially. Yeah. And, yeah, no, that that's <laughs> so, what they would do. They'd exercise you to death and not mm-hmm. let you eat any like you just didn't eat any carbs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you just go comatose and die eventually (laughs) eventually eventually you'd have whatever a cookie looked like in 1800s and you'd be done um yeah i I always think about it you know you know that arden she's very lucky about when she was diagnosed everybody who has insulin is incredibly lucky are there other autoimmune issues in your family or do you have any Um, others no it's really just the diabetes and i mean like heart disease and stuff but um, Can I rattle yeah, through a, a couple lot of it. that sometimes people go, oh, really? Uh, hypo or hyperthyroidism, Graves' no. disease. Hold on. Hey, we're testing my memory here, Billy. Give me a second. Um, <laughs> you would think I say this stuff all the time. Then when I go to say it, I'm like, uh, 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 celiac, 
No. Um, you got an aunt that runs no. in the bathroom after Thanksgiving dinner, anything at all? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, I mean, we do have, you know, predisposition to, you know, depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. all of that. You know, a lot of my family members suffer with that, including me. You have, um, you're, you're clinically depressed? I am. I yeah. actually, so I have what's called major depressive disorder. Okay. Um, and I also have PTSD. And a lot of that is actually related to the diabetes and things that I had went through, you know, as a teenager and well, yeah, you young mentioned, adult. You mentioned the onset of anxiety around the type one diagnosis. And I was going to ask you, yep. you were doing such a nice mm-hmm. job of telling your story. I didn't want to stop you, but I was going to ask you if it permeated your entire life or if it hung around yeah. the diabetes. Um, it, it, that's a really difficult question. I think that I was just like already genetically there. And I think that the diabetes was the trigger, if that makes sense. Like I was already at risk for that, Mm -hmm. um, because of how, you know, like most of my family members do have anxiety and stuff. And I think that the diabetes was really what triggered it. Um, and I've also been diagnosed with OCD as well. And so that I think just like went into it just like the diabetes just made it ignite essentially. Okay. So what does OCD look like when you're 11 for you? Sorry, what did you say? What did the OCD look like in your life? So mostly it's just the intrusive thinking um, and then just like the obsessiveness. So I'll share kind of like what had happened. So when I was 12, it was about, it was the summer after I was diagnosed with diabetes. I went to a religious camp for girls my age and the leaders who I had went with, my mom sat down with them before I had went and we had a really like good discussion on like how to treat diabetes and like if there was an emergency, like what to do. And at the time, my best friend's mom was like, okay, like, cause she was the one that was taking me um, with their group. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, you know, like we can, we'll take care of her and everything was good. I was really excited and we get up into the mountains. Um, and you know, when we're there, I ended up getting really sick and I just like, my blisters were all over the place and anxiety was crazy. And (laughs) this is like really hard to talk about. So um, at the end of the week, I, we were going down to hike a lake and it was like two or three miles away from where the campsite was. And while we were hiking, I started to feel like really out of it. And I almost passed out on the hike. And so then by the time we got down to the lake, I was so out of it. I just, I, that was the first time I felt like I had ever like had a breakdown and I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I was really scared what? and I was trying to explain to them that I like was, they thought I was homesick. Right. And so I tried to explain to them like, no, I'm not homesick. Like, I don't know what's going on with me. Like, you know, my blood sugars are, you know, I tried to explain and then just like basically fell on deaf ears. Do, do, and can I, can I ask a question around that? So I want to, mm-hmm. I mean, if you know, was mm-hmm. it related to your blood sugars? Were you super high, super low, or were you? I was. I think I was running really high, and so when I was hiking, it just overexerted me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, like if I had to go and like test my blood sugar in the middle of like a a meeting or whatever, and then my friend's mom would walk me out to go over and 
take care of what I would need to take care of. And there was one point in time that I had asked if I could go and check my levels and then, you know, make sure that I was good. And cause I was feeling low and, um, my best friend's mom just looked at me and was like, can you just like not do this? Can we, can you just wait? Oh, so she said <laughs> she, she was, was going to take care of you, but then when it came to doing it, she was like, nah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and imagine that like for me being a, you know, 12 year old, I am the type of person that I want. Like I, I'm a people pleaser. I hate to say it, but I don't like disappointing other people. And I always felt like the diabetes was such a burden anyways. And so like when she had said that it crushed me, I was like, I don't have control over this, but you're acting like I do. And that just immediately. So I just stopped paying attention to how I was feeling. And the very last night of camp, we were sitting around the campfire and talking about all of the religious stuff. And I started to feel really faint and I just ignored it because I didn't want to have to interrupt people and be like, Hey, like I need to go and grab something to eat or, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I ignored it and I shouldn't have. (laughs) And I actually ended up having to have people like walk me down to the kitchen like hold me up and like walk me down to the kitchen because i was so weak by the time i got to the kitchen um where you grew up like mm-hmm. I, I don't want to make assumptions but at some point mm-hmm. you said y'all earlier on in our talk oh. if you realize that or not and um was my question is is was were you surrounded by people who were like jesus will take care of this or um so i grew up in utah i just i just say y'all but i grew up in utah okay. Um, and I, um, yeah, I'm talking about like the LDS Mormon religion. Uh-huh. So, and Bailey, um, this is the point in the conversation where we stop for a second and point out that this podcast is huge, huge with the Mormons. Yeah. I have no idea why, but I'm very grateful for it. Um, do you have yeah. any idea why this is usually when I ask? No, no? I don't, I don't know. That's interesting. Massive, that's massive, awesome. massive Mormon <laughs> following. And it's interesting. Nothing religious about me whatsoever. Yeah. So the the hmm. closest we've come to when I asked the question, are you still in the church? Am I still in the church? Yeah. Um, I'm not active in the church currently. No. Okay. So usually when I ask, the answer I get back is that it's a very community based sort of a situation, it is. right? And so that mm-hmm. they, I guess somebody within the, has decided this podcast is valuable and and it gets shared around because of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have nothing against the church. I'm just not like going at the moment. So yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. No, it's all right with but, me. I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm trying to imagine Bailey that eight years ago, I started a podcast and yeah, you know, 800 no, episodes huge. into it. I'm, I'm, it's, it's really big. And you've got to be yeah. like the 20th person I've talked to who's either involved in or grew up in. And it's yeah, that's crazy. Fascinating. I have an episode coming out. I don't even know when it is. Um, but because I don't know where it's stacked up, but anyway, I, I've got like p- people who used to be in the church, and anyway, it's not that's not what the podcast is about. I'm just saying crazy time. So, but but yeah. was there that vibe among those? Like, do you think that woman, like looking back, was just didn't understand the gravity of it and was just telling your mom, "It's fine, it's fine, it's fine," or do you think she knew and was ignoring it, or do you have no idea? I feel like, and I don't want to say like a blanket statement for everybody that's in the church because no not everybody's the same but there are people in the church that the way that they look 
is more important than the, how things actually are. And so I think for me, having to like get up and like leave these meetings and like having to go take care of what I needed to do to take care of myself. I think for her, she was only thinking about herself. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do think she understood, but I, I think for her, she was so embarrassed that she didn't even think about me. Was this a, she didn't want anybody to know you had diabetes. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't, I think You're for her it was kid. more or less like she was like embarrassed that we'd like have to get up and leave. I see. And so she was just like, it, like it was like an inconvenience for her. Like I had control over it, which I, in reality I didn't, you know? Yeah. No, I've heard that, that from a lot of people though. They're like, me. listen, when Arden was a, uh, you know, in kindergarten, I mm -hmm. had the superintendent of the school say, can't she just take care of this herself? She was like five. She'd been five for three mm -hmm. minutes. Can't she just do it? And I was like, "What the heck? No, like, she's five. Yeah, like she. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, he, she, he doesn't understand this at all. Like, like you know, yeah. and you'd explain it to him, and then nothing would come of it. And you know, well, it, and it, it shouldn't like have that. to be their job at five, too. You know, yeah, because it's such the gravity of the disease in and of itself. There's just so many intricate things that people just don't understand how." It's just different for everybody, you know, no, not everybody's diabetes is the same. It's not, uh, you know, you throw everybody into the same box. Everybody's dosages are different. Everybody's lifestyles are different. Everybody, you know, it's, it's not that easy. Vastly different for every single person. So this, this, you know, this excursion was like a week, right? You were going for a while yep. and you're, yep. um, and you're, um, what was I going to say? You, I mean, your blood sugar sounds like it was really high or it was swinging around. You're probably disoriented at that point. Swinging everywhere. Yeah. It was crazy. And I think a lot of that too is that once that initial, you know, that first time where I was like hiking and almost passed out, I think it just caused my body to go into fight or flight. And so, you know, swinging around from that and then the adrenaline raising my blood sugar and then I would come down and it just, you know, and I was only 12 years old, you yeah, know? So I think right. about, this and this, and I think about it this way, that diabetes is the responsibility and the gravity of it is almost like having a child in the sense of like, you have to, it's like having a baby, you mm -hmm. know, you have to feed it every three to four hours, you know, check your levels every three to four hours, you know? So I think about that. And I think about the gravity of me being 12 years old and having to essentially like deal with a quote unquote baby. I, there was no way, you know, I mean, I, I had to deal with it by myself from the moment I was 12 years on. And do you, so, think, do you think this one experience changed things for you or were you, it were did. You, so you weren't feeling yep. poorly about it prior to this experience. Um, I mean, I was feeling the anxiousness of it, you know, after being diagnosed, because how can an 11 year old understand that she's going to have that the rest of her life, right. you know? So I was coping with that. And I think that's normal. Um, but after I had came home from camp, um, that was the beginning of summer. It was in June. Um, my personality changed. And my mom said that she watched me change from this happy-go-lucky, you know, always out with her friends, outgoing, loud, laugh, you know, everything um, to just, I, I became agoraphobic. I wouldn't leave my house. I would have panic attacks when I would go out with people that I didn't feel safe with. Um, and that translated into you know, my teen years when I started high school, you know, I, I, 
had a really difficult time going to school because I couldn't focus. All I could think about was like, what if something happens and I'm, I'm not safe. And I, it just completely that trauma that I experienced, it just damaged my trust in other people around me. Yeah. It steamrolled uh, you. It really did. Yeah. It just and, knocked you over. You know, so after that experience, I, you know, and then like, you know, seeing my uncle be as sick as he was growing up, I uh, became really, really terrified to have low blood sugars. And so I purposely keep my blood sugars high just so that I would feel safe. And, you know, I fought for years trying to do what I could. And so this is when the OCD started to kick in. When I would start to have anxiety, sometimes it would mimic the same symptoms of the low blood sugar. And so I would obsessively like test my blood sugar because I, I didn't believe what the meter was showing me. Oh, oh, I and, see. Yeah. Oh, God. yeah. Oh, that's so, terrible. Yeah. yeah. And your mom involved in your management or no at that time? No, uh, no, not really. Unfortunately, 15 years ago. What is that? 2004 ish. It was uh, 2007 was Seven. when I was diagnosed. Okay. So it was about Eight, 2008 on so there's technology yeah. i mean there's not there's meters and needles and mm-hmm. pens that's about it right like did you have a pump or so i tried the pump and i didn't like the way that it made me feel i felt like a ball in a chain to me mm-hmm. you know um, by the way bailey as soon as you called it the pump i knew you didn't like it you didn't have to finish yeah. the sentence <laughs> no way i actually <laughs> it's like ironically my boss at work has type one and she's going on the Omnipod and we were talking about it. And I was saying that maybe I'd be open to try that because I have had Dexcom and it was an absolute success. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm definitely open. And that's the thing of me is like, I'm very uh, self-aware. I've always been very self-aware. I can look at myself and I can say, okay, like this is what I need to work on. And I like to challenge myself because that's where growth happens. And um, so I ended up getting married at 19. I was really young and um, had my daughter at 21, 22. And, um, you know, she was like the best thing that ever happened to me. And, you know, I never thought I'd be able to have children. I just, it was one of those things that when I would think about having to manage the diabetes while being pregnant, I always was just so overwhelmed with the thought of it that I just didn't think it would be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I ended up the year that I got pregnant with my daughter, I actually went into DKA um, right before I got pregnant. And I went into DKA because I wasn't taking care of myself, but I also got the stomach flu. And at this point in time, like I wasn't, I really wasn't taking very good care of myself. The Omnipod is an insulin pump that fits every lifestyle because it doesn't have tubing. You wear it on your body, but it is not connected to anything by tubing or by wires. It is completely tubeless and completely wireless. It's also able to go in the bathtub, a swimming pool, a body of water such as a lake or an ocean, or any other place with water. Wait a minute now. You can swim with it and live with it, It's not connected to anything. You don't have to take it off to exercise or play a sport or do fun time 
Nothing at all? This this insulin pump sounds perfect, doesn't it? Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Now, you say, there couldn't be any more to this, Scott. But yes, there could. The Omnipod Dash is the tubeless insulin pump, just like we're talking about. There is also an Omnipod 5. Now, the Omnipod 5 and the Omnipod Dash, to the naked eye, appear exactly the same. But the Omnipod 5, when paired with a Dexcom G6, gives you automated insulin functionality. All right, one more time. Omnipod Dash, tubeless insulin pump, absolutely fantastic. Omnipod 5, automated insulin delivery. Go find out about either of them at Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. And get this, you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Head over to my link right now to get those details. To find out more, get started today, or for full safety, risk information, and free trial terms and conditions, visit Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Now let's talk about Dexcom for a minute. This is a continuous glucose monitor that you wear or your, your loved one wears, and it reports your blood sugar back to a receiver or your phone, Android or iPhone, in like real time. It's, I mean, if you don't know what a Dexcom is at this point, I mean, I guess you're new. And that's if you're new, hey, welcome. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. If you know what it is, but you don't have one, I mean, what are you doing? Let's get going, right? Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Get started today with the Dexcom G6. Dexcom G7 coming to the United States in early 2023. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be checking into it now and getting all your ducks in a row. Quack, quack, quack. You understand? Zero finger sticks. Glucose readings right on your smart device. Customizable alerts and alarms. Seeing your blood sugar. Not just the number, but the speed and direction. By picking up your phone. People. Do it. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. And did I mention, you can share your Dexcom data with up to 10 followers. That's 10 loved ones or clinicians or school nurses who can see your blood sugars and also receive alerts and alarms if they set it up to do that right on their devices. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com to these and all the sponsors. When you click on my links or type them into a browser, you're supporting the podcast. Yeah, does the, um, the, I'll just keep it high to keep it from being low. Does that mm-hmm. eventually yep. turn into apathy? Because what yep. the hell, what the hell is the difference between 200 and 250? Is that how it starts yep. to feel? Okay. All right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I was constantly running in like the four or five hundreds Can I ask at you, that point in my life. Did keeping it high do anything for your anxiety? Yeah, it did actually, which is really sad. It actually, as much as I felt physically just sick and disgusting all the time, I had this sense of like security that if I were to randomly drop out of nowhere from like 500 all the way down to 25, (laughs) you know, that I, and granted, I've never passed out. I've never, like, I've always been so responsible. Um, but I just, like that's that whole trust piece that like I just didn't trust, mm-hmm. you know. Did that ever happen? So, by the way, did you ever have a big crash? Yes, actually, I've had a couple. Okay. Um, there was one. I actually was on the pump for a little bit, and th- one of the reasons I don't like the pump is because this had happened, and I 
look back now and I'm like, oh, I probably could have adjusted my doses. But um, when I was on the pump, there was a day where I had bolused for some food and it was too much insulin and my blood sugars wouldn't come up and I didn't have any juice in my house. And so I was eating things and I didn't know this at the time, but I was eating like peanut butter and I was thinking, oh, like my nurses told me that if I could never bring my blood sugars up to do like cake frosting. So I didn't do gel frosting. I did like full fat frosting. Right. <laughs> and so like I was eating all sugar. these things. Yeah. I, yeah. I was eating all these things that had a lot of fat in it. And so my blood sugars didn't come up immediately. <laughs> and then once they did, they <laughs> wouldn't come down again, probably. Exactly. Yeah. And so my lowest, I got down to 25. And it got to the point where I was eating so much food and I was laying on my mom's bathroom floor and I just looked at my mom and I was like, mom, if I, I cannot eat anything else, I'm like, if I can't get these up in the next you know 15 minutes, you're going to have to use my glucagon on me because I can't keep them up mm-hmm. and I can't eat anything else because if I do, then I'm going to throw up and then, you know, so your blood so my sugar, mom's like, okay, how, how old are you at that point? Uh, I was 16 or 17. So your blood sugar is so low and you've got so much insulin going that even, mm-hmm. even gorging yourself wasn't putting a dent into it. Yeah. And I had eaten a lot of food that had had that fat in it. And so it was enough carbs to bring me up. It's just, you know, with fat, your body, it takes longer to digest. And it, so yeah, it was in my system. It just wasn't took working longer yeah. to bring my blood sugars up. And then I remember looking back and being like, Oh my gosh, like I shouldn't have had the peanut butter and the, you know, the like a half thing of like cake frosting, just, you know, in th- that sitting trying to bring me up over an hour, you know, cause I was 25 and then 34 and then 27. Oh. And then, you know, so that was the lowest I'd ever been. Let and me- that, that well, was rough. Wow. That's terrible. Can I ask you? So in your mind at that time, mm-hmm. this isn't because you've used too much insulin. It's the pump's fault. Like, is that how it felt that it, the pump did this? No, I, no? I knew that I had overbolus. Like, I looked back and I was like, okay, I had had like pancakes for breakfast and I didn't eat the syrup that I had bolused for it with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been really insulin sensitive. Um, and so it just, you know, instead of it being like a normal low, and this was before the time of CGMs. Um, you know, so yeah, yeah. yeah, I looked back and I was like, oh shoot, like I definitely didn't think that through, you know? Mm -hmm. So can I admit something? Mm -hmm. Sometimes when people who've had diabetes forever and have, and have, uh, and are people who've had it for a long time before CGMs Mm -hmm. and before like great meters and they say stuff like I'm brittle or I'm sensitive, I always (laughs) just think they just didn't know what they were doing back then. You, yeah, you, you know, and I know that if someone heard that right now who thinks they're brittle, they'd be like, "Fuck you, Scott." But, um, yeah. but it, it, I really do. I don't believe. I I don't think it's a coincidence yeah. that as the technology gets better, you hear fewer and fewer people using that. Exactly. Phrase, you know. Exactly. Well, and it goes back to like what we were just saying. Like everybody's bodies are so different. Sure. Yeah. No. No. I mean, you not know, that you, somebody like, you couldn't learn to be. know. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, not that. Not that somebody couldn't be that sensitive, but I, I just always have this feeling that if you could have pulled that person out of that situation, put them in, mm-hmm. in, in modern technology and isolated them, paid attention to it for a minute, 
I think you could figure out why they were like bouncing around or low all the time. And and to oh, make definitely. Yeah, yeah. To make that point, Bailey, how how do you know me? How did that happen? So my friend uh actually spoke on your podcast last year. Wh- and so who? Yeah. Um her name is Max. Oh. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Maddie, but Max now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do you yep. know I just recorded with with Max yesterday? Oh, no, I did not. She did a follow-up um, with me, and she let me call her Maddie for 45 minutes, and then she's like, it's Max now. I was like, well, where was yeah. that information 45 minutes ago, Maddie? And then I'm like, <laughs> Max. Um, so for people, as, okay, so Matt, huh, this is going to be weird. Yours will go up after her, so it doesn't matter. Um, she was on an After Dark episode. Yep. Right. And her she's young and her young son has 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 been cancer Mm -hmm. that she's struggling with. She has issues herself beyond the type one. She gave this great interview. um, And then I asked her to come back on so I could catch back up with her. And so I can't believe that was how does that happen, Bailey? Why does the world work like that? I don't know. I think I'm the type of person that believes that everything happens for a reason. Um, and actually, so, uh, going back to me being in DKA, um, that was in 2016. I had the stomach flu really bad right? and I just couldn't keep anything down and my ketones are really high. So I went to the hospital and I was in mild DKA. So I was hospitalized for three days. Um, couldn't eat anything, you know, the whole drill. So, um, after that I was determined to have things in my life go better because for so long I just felt so controlled by the diabetes and then you know my mental health I just felt like I couldn't get a, a grip on it right and so I just had decided I had had enough and so I remember vividly having a thought and just thinking to myself well you know I can't control the diabetes and so for the first time in my life I accepted that I had had it fully accepted it. Yeah. And then <laughs> I thought, well, you know, I can control what I eat. So then I go down this rabbit hole of restricting my insulin and restricting my food. And that was in January of 2016. And things were going good. Like my A1C was coming down. And then I started to notice that I was losing weight. And I didn't want to be losing weight. Mm -hmm. And I took a really hard look at myself and I realized I had an eating disorder. Yeah. And I did one of the scariest things in my life. I checked myself into an eating disorder facility and that is where I met Maddie then, Max now. Oh, good for you. That's wonderful. Um, There is a really uh, renowned clinic here in Utah that... Mm -hmm treats people that have diabetes and eating disorders and uh, for just everything that I had went through previous to that and all the trauma of like, you know, seeing my uncle have it and then me thinking that was going to be me. And then, you know, all of the, the stuff that I had went through, I mean, there's even more like when I was in high school, I had, you know, a teacher during my lunch break, I was drinking some Gatorade in the hallway and walking the hallway with my friends. My teacher pulled me in the classroom and was like, Hey, you know, like you can't be drinking that. And then, you know, proceeded to lecture me in front of the class when our bell rung and she actually got 
written up from the school district because of that. Yeah. Um, because she had said those things to me in front of the other kids and um, and there's some, you know so yeah and there's something about you to begin with probably from the anxiety and and whatever mm-hmm. else is that that stuff all impacts you so hard when it happens yeah yeah because these are it, the same stories did. that other people might hear and just be like oh I had a teacher once what a jerk didn't know I had diabetes yelled at me for drinking Gatorade never thought about it again but for you exactly yeah it's a different it's a different experience for you yeah because I was already so hypersensitive to it it had made me feel like such a burden, you know, because if I had to leave class to go and get food from my locker or, you know, just even go and do anything, I was just so embarrassed and just felt so just like, like my teachers weren't going to like me. And so when my teacher had done that, it was almost like a confirmation of like, oh, see this way. I really exactly am. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In that sense, you know, like I'm, I'm a burden to these people around me. Yeah. And it, it was hard, you know, yeah. it's traumatic having to well, feel like you don't fit in or that you're not welcomed is what it made me feel. And I don't think that the teacher was trying to come off on any ill way. Right. But what they did by any means reinforced your fear, though. But it absolutely <laughs> reinforced my fear and mm. <laughs> made me feel even more just terrible about myself Were you and able to- what I had gone through. Were you able to manage the eating disorder or where are you at with that? So, yeah. Um, so I went and I got my treatment. I was there for a month for inpatient. And then a month actually after I got out of treatment, I ended up getting pregnant with my daughter. And when I say that everything happens for a reason, I mean, I really believe that me going to get the help that I needed prepared me to be able to deal with the intensity of pregnancy because it's a lot more challenging to be pregnant and have diabetes. Um, and I'm good. I mean, I haven't had, for me, I was so determined to just move forward Mm -hmm. with my life that I was, and I was ready to face those fears and to move forward. And, I, you know, obviously like there are days in my mind where it's easier for me to just be like, oh, like I don't want to have to like take a bunch of insulin and I don't want to eat, but I still do it anyways because I know that I need to. I've worked through that. Um, And I'm good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Good. Congratulations. Uh, Thanks. Yeah. yeah. So this sort of all falls in the line. So you realize you have an eating disorder. You put yourself into treatment. You come mm-hmm. out, I'm guessing, oh, listen, I don't know. Dude, I didn't make my first baby on purpose. Was this on purpose? You it know? was, no. actually, okay. yeah. Were you well, married? It okay, so it wasn't like, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had been married for a year, um, actually with, um, he's my ex-husband, but um, I was married for a year and then with him for four years at that point. Okay. Because I had been with my ex for, since I was 16. I was going to say, you're only like 20 or 21 after you're married for a year, so... Exactly. Yeah. And then. Yep. So uh, I had been with him for a long time at that point. Were you with him while you were in treatment? Yes. Okay. And then come out, you, you, you have, you get, you get pregnant, you have a baby. Mm-hmm. How did you manage the pregnancy? Like, were you able to keep your A1C where your doctors were asking you to and all mm-hmm. the other things? Really? Yeah. It was high at first because I was still coming out of treatment and bringing it down and everything. But yeah, everything was good. I just survived i got yeah. through it i used my coping skills that i learned mm. and really just cool. pushed through and and i'm assuming or i'm guessing that 
the mm-hmm. being pregnant part helped you to stay focused and to not kind of yeah. give up or drift away from it, right? Yeah. So it's actually interesting because when I was pregnant, I had severe morning sickness. I had what was called hyperemesis gravidarum. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't keep anything down almost my whole pregnancy. And that was actually more taxing than the diabetes was. Um, And so I just have, I have this determination inside of me that I just wanted to just fight. (laughs) So that's what I did and that's what I've done. And when I say that my daughter really saved my life, she did because she put me, you know, she like put me into making me have a routine to take care of myself to, you know, to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do. And I, she definitely came into my life for a reason. Somebody asked me today, Bailey, like, what is one of the things I've learned from interviewing so many people that surprises Mm -hmm. me? And I, I, the first thing I thought to say was how prevalent it is that people can often not change their lives for themselves, but they can do it, but they can do it for the love of another person. I, you know, I, I want to be pregnant. I want to have a healthy baby. I want to get married. I like whatever it is, like they'll, it's so difficult to do it for yourself. But when it's for someone else, I've heard so many people say like, oh, I, you know, I didn't really care, but then I got married and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be healthy. And it's just, it's so interesting um, how our minds work, you know? Yeah. How long, how old's your daughter? She's five. And you've been keeping this going for six years then through your pregnancy and yeah. five more years. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I have really fought wonderful. really hard to be where I'm at. I uh, actually, so when I had scheduled this interview with you back in November, I was still married. Um, and I'm currently going through my divorce and I am leaving an abusive situation, have left an abusive situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm out on my own completely doing it by myself with my daughter doing the best that I can. That's amazing. And I, you know, also didn't get my license up until last year because my doctors, when I was a teenager, wouldn't sign off on it. And then I got married so young and I was so codependent on my ex-husband that I just, I, I didn't bother getting it. And so when I was trying to make my, my plan to leave. I, I realized that I had to have, I had to have my license in the car. And yeah. um, that was something that I got last year. You know, I got my car that I have all by myself. I didn't have any help from my parents. And can we, I, can I ask yeah. you a couple of questions about that? I don't, I, I know sure. it's not why you're here, but it kind of mm-hmm. is. Um, was he much older than you? Three years, four years older well, than me. Older, but not four a lot. Years older. Although when you're that mm-hmm. young, when you're 19, 20, you know, three years, yep. three, four years is a lot older. Um, it is. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not asking you to say anything that makes you uncomfortable, but what does abuse look like in your situation? Is it physical or is it It verbal? was everything. Mm-hmm. Wow. Is there yeah, s- mostly financial. Um, you know, he really struggled to keep a job and to provide for um, our family, you know, so I... the a lot of that was put onto me trying to, you know, work one or two jobs or just make ends meet. Um, while he's not was, doing, was, was difficult. While he's mm-hmm. not doing anything. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, 
was he was it a situation where you were able to leave face to face or did you have to kind of leave in the in the dark of night kind of thing um well i had tried to leave but i didn't have anywhere to go uh-huh. and so um I like my dad lives out of state now. And I mean, I could have gone and moved with him, but like in that moment, there wasn't much that I could do to just up and leave. You know, my mom lives with my brother and his family and, you know, I housing, you know, the, you know, state assisted housing for my state was actually closed in my County because there are so many people that needed it. Hmm. And so my choices during those times when I was facing the abuse, I, was faced with either having to stay and, you know, have a place to live or go stay in a shelter. And I chose to stay and I tried to leave a few times and it just didn't end up working out. Um, I was able to successfully leave um, in the end of February, early March this year. Wow. That's, that's crazy. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it sounds incredibly um, difficult and on top of you, you already have anxiety. And so there, there it is. Yeah. And how, how do you keep, I mean, how did you not give up? I guess is my question. I don't know. <laughs> did you I have just, that feeling like you needed to get away or you need to get your daughter away or. Both. Yeah. I, for me, for years, I didn't realize that I was a victim of abuse. Mm-hmm. And so when I had started to place things together and realize that I was a victim of, of abuse, um, I actually started to document things and I documented for three years, um, pictures, you know, statements, things like that. I police reports, um, I documented everything and kept everything safe. And, um, that is what kept me going is knowing that I knew because I'm a very determined person. I knew that one day I'd be able to leave. It just was a matter of when. Mm. And if, you know, as soon as I could have figured it out, I knew that things were going to be okay. It just was going to take some time. And that was, you know, one common theme that I've had in my life is that I have had to wait for the things that I deserve. And that's been hard for me. Because I see, you know, like with my license and stuff, I didn't get it up until last year and then leaving and, you know, being out on my own and being independent and doing things and not being dependent on another person. um, I have, I have this really deep gratitude for life and I hate that I had to go through the things that I went through to great, to gain that, uh, that gratitude. Mm -hmm. But I'm also, I don't, I feel like I'm never going to be ungrateful for the things that I had to work hard for. Well, I think the good news is, is you're so incredibly young. I mean, you've been through so much in such yeah. a short amount of time. You have so much life left that yeah. that if you could take that gratitude and, and redirect yourself, which I mean, it's obvious you're doing, there's a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of ceiling ahead of you still. To, you know what I mean? There's still a lot Definitely. for you to do. Are you able to work and take care of your daughter right now? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I actually, so when my daughter was about nine months old, um, I had went through a period of time where I wasn't able to work really well. I mean, I did nannying for a family member, um, but my mental health was just not there. 
And if you talk to my family members and my friends during that time, um, they will tell you, and I've had multiple people tell me that they are just amazed at how well I'm doing now in life. I mean, granted, I have things that are going on and it's hard and it's challenging, but being able to manage it is what's the most important thing. Um, because they thought I was just going to end up dying (laughs) because I didn't take care of myself. I let my mental and physical health control me and they, they just are proud of me and I'm proud of myself and I'm just so grateful and so blessed and just, I, like I said, everything happens for a reason. And I think that the things that I've gone through have really strengthened me and have just put me to where I've needed to go. Bailey, I, I feel I'm exactly where I need to be. Yeah. I don't know you and I'm proud of you. So thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's astonishing what you've been through already. Seriously. I mean, just starting with the diabetes at, at such a young age, sound like you're kind of on your own and you ran to so many different hurdles that, you know, it just kept pushing you down yeah. and pushing you down. And then, I mean, my God, you're going from DK at 16 to married at 19 I don't imagine mm-hmm. there was a lot of, you know, growth and learning between 16 and 19 about diabetes. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, can I ask you a question about management? And then I want to find out where you're at right now. When when you're mm-hmm. in that when you're in that situation where your existence is how you've described, are you seeing a doctor with any frequency? Yes. And what mm-hmm. what are they saying to you? Um so the doctors during that time, I mean obviously it's What it makes me think of is that quote of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they were obviously like giving me the tools and trying to help me, but I wasn't helping myself. What were the tools they gave you? Do you remember? Yeah. I mean, like the tools, like they were, you know, I'd go in for my every like three month checkup, get my A1C done. Then we'd talk about changing my dosages and, you know, then they'd be like giving me the talk of like, you know, like my A1C was like 15 off the charts, you know, not taking care of myself and just really just neglecting myself. And there wasn't, I mean, I even had one of my nurses, she's like, well, I don't even know why you come in if you're not going to take care of yourself. Oh, more more uplifting behavior from people around you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it also like, it wasn't great, but it was also eye opening because I did need a little bit of a kick in the butt. Okay. But I also, at that point in time, I, I was Literally, I could not do anything because I was so controlled by my mental health. I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't force myself to do it. I also don't know how you're supposed to have good mental health when your blood sugar is that high all the time. Exactly. It, yeah, you're in a well, cloud. and then like when my trauma revolves around blood sugars, <laughs> you know, it's like a uh, like a cycle. You know, yeah. it was yeah, just, yeah. this oh, toxic no, cycle of like I would try to take care of myself and then I would self-sabotage and then not take care of myself. And it would it was this back and forth all the time. And it was so exhausting. And it was all I could focus on that that OCD, those intrusive thinking, mm-hmm. the thought patterns that were just not serving me, um, controlled me yeah. for a very, very long time. And I do even today, you know, I have those thought patterns still because trauma, you know, you can't just <laughs> get rid of it. Right. But the most important thing that I have learned is that feelings come and go. They're just visitors. They don't stay. And I know even in my worst moments, I can give myself that grace to feel what I'm feeling so that I can move forward and take care of myself. 
And I'm not the most perfect diabetic, you know, and nobody is. It's hard. Of course. But I try my best. And that's what matters most. Do you go to therapy? Um, I have. Yeah. yeah. Or outside of um, treatment, you've sought out a therapist. Uh Have you Mm -hmm. ever tried the um, the, uh, EMDR? EMDR? Yeah. Yeah. I have. Yeah. I have. And it's it's a really great tool. I uh, actually... I, I don't know if I would say I enjoy it, you know, having to re, you know, go through my trauma mm, again, yeah, right. <laughs> but I enjoy the outcome. Um, when I was doing that therapy, I was talking with my family about it and I had told them that it's like, a, it, it helps, but it's like a drop in the bucket. You just have to keep going and keep reprocessing the trauma for it to get better. And it's hard, Yeah. Um, but I do enjoy the outcomes <laughs> of EMDR for sure. You just the way you were talking, I thought she's definitely tried this. Um, because again, <laughs> at this point now, I've spoken to enough people. I was like, this is definitely a thing that that Bailey is trying. Yeah, yeah, because yep. and everyone speaks so well about it. Who talks about it here? Yeah, yeah, it's hard, you know, having to reprocess, but it helps. It definitely helps. I'm not asking you for details, but of mm-hmm. all the things you've told me over the last 50 minutes, are there have there been horrors in your life that if you shared with me would make what you've shared so far seem trivial? Or, or have you pretty, or have you been pretty forthcoming with what's going on in your life? Um, I think I've been pretty forthcoming. Yeah. I mean, okay. I'm a open book. Cool. No, I just want to. I know? mean, there's sometimes that you know people go through things they just don't want to share. But I'm, um, yeah, I'm fat. I'm. I can't. Say I mean, that. there's obviously more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, oh, yeah all right. More you know. examples. You could give more mm-hmm. examples, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, what but is it? Um, yeah. My other question is: like, I'm trying to decide. While you're young and going through all this and obviously mm-hmm. struggling and at the doctor with a 15A1C, which, by the way, is an average blood sugar of 384. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Your parents never intervene and say, you're obviously not good at this, Bailey. We're going to help you. Or do they not know? Or do, like I, that part always confuses me in these stories. So I'll be completely honest. I... My mom tried to help me, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't let her. But I know that my mom was trying the best that she could, and I don't want to make her feel guilty. Sure. Um, however, there was never a formal, I'm going to help you. Or it was like, we would go to the doctors and it would be, well, she's not letting me help her. Yeah. But then there was no, like. <laughs> Nowhere where she actually tried to help. Exactly, like yeah. physically stepped yeah. in, right? Like, right. so I think it, and and my diagnosis was traumatic for my whole family. Mm-hmm. You know, like even my older brother, it affected him, and I didn't realize that until I was older. You know, and yeah. so, but yeah, with my mom and my dad, like my dad, he, I didn't see him a whole lot growing up, mm-hmm. and I mean, I would go visit him and stuff, and so I would just take care of myself when I was with him, and I know, like. If I needed help, I could have reached out to my parents. I know that I could have, but there was a lot of like blame put on me that I wasn't letting my parents help me, which I don't think was very fair mm-hmm. when I was so young. It's very honest of you to share. Thank you. I um, yeah. I very often think I hear that in people's stories and they can't come to 
terms with saying it about their parents usually. Um, so yeah. it was really honest. Yeah. I appreciate it. And I think people. Yeah. Well, you know, it. and bless my mom. She tried the best that she could. I think that's, I mean, most people are doing the best that they can. Yeah. Oh, I want to you know? say, yeah, I want to say that there's this thing that doesn't get said because I think nobody wants to be insulting, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's apathy for most people. I think they're overmatched by it. And, mm-hmm. and that is overwhelming. And then you're, you're, yeah. you're being asked to do a thing you really don't understand. And you, yeah. and you, and so you, they default often to the sayings that you hear people like doctors say, like, well, they got to learn to take mm-hmm. care of themselves. It's their disease. That's one of my favorite ones. It's their disease. Yep. They have to figure it out. Cause you know, you know, who's great at figuring out diabetes before technology, 11 year olds. They're amazing at it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know, know what? Uh, like just going back and looking at like the, out of the many years that I've been diabetic, I have been very responsible yeah, and it's interesting, you know, like I never, cause there are some kids that get diagnosed and they just decide like, Oh, I'm not going to take my Lantus or I'm not going to mm-hmm. dose for this and whatever. Like they don't want to take their insulin around their friends. I've always been very responsible. You were trying. And yeah. because I knew the gravity of it from such a young age and out of all of those years, I think there's only been like one or two times that I've ever missed an insulin dose. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> you a, know? It's such a good, it's such a great point because you're putting, you're putting in the effort. It's mm-hmm. just, you don't know, you just don't know what to do. It, I mean, it really, exactly. it really is equivalent to somebody saying to you, I need you to cut down this tree and then you go dig a hole. Mm-hmm. Digging a yeah, hole. Yeah. Well, know, and I don't think yeah. I even had like, you know, if you're thinking about it in like a, in that sense, it's like if you're digging a hole or you have you don't have the tools to do it either. Right. I don't think I had the tools to cope with that or right. even deal with that. And so for me, going through all of that and then people are telling me, like, I've got to take care of myself. But yet I want to so desperately, but I couldn't because I didn't have the skills. Right. Not only, I didn't yeah. have that yeah. at that time in my life. Yeah, it's so common to hear that not only do people not have the tools they don't have the direction or the idea of which way mm-hmm. they're supposed to go, even if they had the tools. And they it's could so use overwhelming. Them. Right. And it's too much. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's uh, and it doesn't have to be right. Like it's just it never gets explained right. And then I mean, Jesus, I just had a private conversation with somebody three hours ago where they were talking about their son and how the direction that he gets is not commiserate to what he needs. He struggles. Uh-huh. And then his doctor tells him he's not trying hard enough. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing with diabetes too, is it's like, you always have to try harder. Yeah. I, I want uh, Bailey, listen, I'm going to say this 99 times out of a hundred. If you're a physician telling a type one diabetic <laughs> or a type two diabetic, they're not trying hard enough. You are stopping yourself from saying, I'm really bad at explaining this to you because pretty much, yeah, because they don't, they can't do something that they don't understand and they exactly. don't understand it because whatever you're saying isn't getting through to them. So exactly. Yeah. I, you know, just be, you're, you're talking to yourself if you're telling them they're not trying hard enough, I think. Yeah. Most times. Yeah. And I've actually been through a few diabetes doctors and the one that I have now is absolutely amazing. Very cool. Um, and she's really good. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have her as my doctor because I've had some pretty poor experiences with, with doctors yeah, in hard. my life. So, hey, uh, like an hour ago, I asked you how you knew about the podcast. Then we started talking about Max. Then we went in another direction. But do you listen to the show? Um, I've listened to a few. It's been a while, though, mm-hmm. since I've listened to them. What makes you want to add your story into it when you're not like a real like hardcore listener? I 
am very, I've been through a lot of really traumatic things and a lot of it has been surrounded by the diabetes. Mm -hmm. And I look at what I've gone through and had I heard somebody who had gone through similar things when I was just at my lowest point where I just wasn't taking care of myself, didn't know, like just so desperate for things to get better. And I didn't know how they would get better. Had I heard your podcast and been able to listen to those things, I think it would have helped me be able to feel hope of some sort, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that things would get better and that I would be okay. You know, because during those times I definitely didn't feel like things were going to be okay. So you don't particularly manage insulin the way I talk about it. You have a thing that works for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Will you share your new A1C? Like what do you have currently? Yeah. So my A1C is an eight. It's not great, but it's better. Um, Bailey, it ain't 15. That's amazing. You you know, it is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so it's at an 8%. I'm working on getting it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that is mostly just because I am actually going through my divorce and I'm adjusting to things. And so the diabetes has definitely taken a little bit more of a back burner. Um, well, listen, you're making I'm a lot of adjustments. It, so. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're making mm-hmm. a lot of adjustments in your life. And there's a yeah. lot of things going. So you have, it's interesting. You have things going on that are like with people you have mm-hmm. things going on that are in your own mind. You have diabetes. You're a single mom, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. and, and you got your A1C from a 15 to an 8. That's magical. Like, it really is. Yeah, and you're aware. It's, it's you're, good. <laughs> yeah. And you're aware that you're not there yet. And, and, yeah. you're, and you're titrating it down without kicking yourself back into your eating disorder, too, which is very impressive. Yes. Well, and, you know, it's hard because you know, just like the way that the brain works and the psychology of, you know, going through the trauma, you know, your brain automatically starts to go down those, those pathways. And so it takes a lot of effort to stop yourself when you're triggered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, there are days where I do struggle and it is hard. And I'm like, I just want to go back to like restricting my food because that's easier, yeah. but that's not what long-term it's not going to work long-term, right? Like sometimes doing the things that are the easiest are going to end up being the most difficult in the long run. And so for me, as much as I hate it, I face my fears because I know that it makes me stronger and I have to be persistent to get that resilience. You ought to check out a couple of the after dark episodes. So like uh, episode 627 was a disordered eating episode from a guy, from a man's perspective. And he, oh. and he lived a lot longer with it than you, than you, mm-hmm. he's older than you in general, but I found him to be really excellent. And then in the halfway through the therapist he used to help him comes on and talks about it. It's oh. really cool. And then. Awesome. Okay. And then there's, um, well, I'm assuming you heard Matt, uh, Max's episode, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About her struggles. And I just think yep. that, I think that's, I think that we're talking about something that people want to believe is niche, right? Like, oh, most people don't have eating disorders. Most people don't grow up in ways that are difficult. I think that's bull. I think most people have- No, it is completely bull Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think most people have something going on, like you're talking about. And just like with an autoimmune disease, when you get one crappy person in your life, a lot of times you get more crappy people in your life. Yeah. You you know, it's, it's, um, you know, you don't, you don't usually get hit by your husband, but then during the day, hang out with like you know the the queen exactly. the queen of Australia or something like that. Like, do they have a queen? It doesn't matter. Um. <laughs> <laughs> they 
theoretically. <laughs> Meanwhile, I don't give a crap. But you know what I'm saying? Like you don't you don't drift yeah. in and out of situations. Like people who are in no. bad situations are often always in them. And it's easy for yep. other people who aren't in those situations to look at you or to look at like, Max. We'll fix it. Yeah. And say, well, just take care of it. You're not trying hard enough. Right. Exactly. Like, and that's just that's not the, the case. You're under no. a mountain of problems when you're in a situation like that. And nobody can yep. pick it up, especially people who have not been brought up to to manage problems like this. Like it's easy to, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it, yep. it, yeah, it's just it's it's not right. And I think it's it's why yeah. I do the after darks, because I think it's more prevalent than people want to give it credit for or that mm-hmm. people want to mm, uh, admit, maybe is the word yeah. the right word. You know? Well, and I've heard that. I don't know the percentage of it. I'll maybe have to email you once I find it, but that there are actually a lot of people with diabetes that have eating disorders because it's so food focused. Oh yeah. 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 You know, I mean, you're going out and you're Googling, you know, carbs in Wendy's chili or you're making dinner with a friend and you're like checking the boxes to see what the serving sizes are. And like, even though, you know, you just double check, like, yeah. you know, so, you know, it's so hyper-focused that how could you not, have a disordered eating. And I think there are a lot of people that have disordered eating that don't realize it. Right. You know, and then like, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say like, it's just important for me personally that I am taking care of myself and keeping myself in line because I want to change those generational patterns for my daughter, you know? So like having those coping skills, you know, like even with my daughter right now going through the divorce, it's been very hard on her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she also has ADHD and so she struggles. And I know that maybe my parents were trying their best with that they were given, but I didn't have the coping skills to go through what I was going through. And so now me being self-aware, I want to make sure that I'm giving my daughter the coping skills that she needs to get through life. Because, you know, having a conversation with my mom, just maybe like, a month ago, you know, she's like, Oh, I hope Charlotte doesn't ever have to go through anything bad. And I just looked at her and I said, you know what, mom? I said, you know what? She's going to go through hard times. I can't stop that. There's nothing I can do because she's going to grow up. She's going to be an adult. She's going to be a woman. And my job as her parent is to protect her, to give her those skills to get through life, not stunt her by trying to shelter her or keep her safe give her those experiences so she can get strong, so she can grow her resilience. Resilience is what matters most. Yeah. And you no, know? no disrespect to your mom, but that whole idea of like, I hope, hope, I don't need your hope. I need your help. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Like, like I love that yep. what you're talking about isn't just like, isn't like, well, I hope that I don't let her down. You're actively yep. making sure that you don't. And when you, and yep. when you lack the tools to do that, you go out and find the tools and teach them to yourself. Exactly. Billy, exactly. how the hell did this happen to you? Why are you so much more, oh, I'm going to use the wrong word. Why are you smarter than your situation? Do you know what I mean by that? I don't that? know. I don't know. I honestly, I think a lot of it is that I'm very stubborn i don't want to settle for things in my life and because i don't want to settle let me cut you off it's not just that you're not giving up and that you're fighting you're actually succeeding like going to treatment for an eating disorder and six years later being able to say i i i'm not 
I'm not falling to it still. That's not yeah. just trying. That's not just not giving up. That's doing. That's a, like you learned something in that therapy that you put into practice. And you've said it a couple of yeah. times here. Like there are clear ideas that you have about keeping yourself straight. And you know what they are. And you know when you need them. And you put them into action without, yeah. without you know, without without fault like you uh, fault's mm -hmm. the wrong word without without failure you put them into action when you need them that's what's holding your holding your situation yeah. i mean your husband's gone it wasn't a, it's not like you guys were running around like like june and ward cleaver which is a reference there's no way you would get <laughs> but um but and then suddenly it went bad like you didn't suddenly find him in the car with your neighbor no. like you had a problem that was long running you held yourself yes. together in it before you could get away from it and you're still talking about it just a couple months removed from it. And you're yeah. incredibly together. Like, I hate, I really hate to say this, but you feel like a person, like if I would have snatched you away at birth and sent you somewhere else, like your life would have been different, it feels like. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel bad saying yeah. that because I'm sure your parents no. are lovely people, but. You know, yeah. it's interesting because I have thought about it like that, that had I had different, you know, and I'm, I'm going to talk about privilege a little bit. But had I had a different upbringing where I might have been in a different environment with the amount of determination and strength that I have inside myself, I look at that and I think, where would I be? And that's hard because it, I, I'm here and I'm doing well and I'm succeeding and overall, you know, just moving forward in my life. And I think, man, you know, could I have been a doctor? Could I have done this? Mm -hmm. And then I remind myself like the would haves and the could haves. I, I shouldn't go down that route because I don't want to make myself feel bad and cut myself short either. Also, because I have fought so incredibly hard to be where I'm at. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to minimize the effort you've put in. And, and, exactly. the, and the other thing is, too, I listen, I don't have the same problems you have. My situation is completely different. But mm -hmm. um, I uh, I'm adopted. By mm -hmm. um, really, I I love my mom and dad. My dad's gone. He wasn't a great dad. I still love him. My mom mm -hmm. is my mom is seventy nine years old. I talk to her three times a day. She's amazing. Um, <laughs> but they but they're hmm. All right, ready, Billy. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> hold on, I'm trying to find words. Their ability to navigate life is not commiserate to my ability to navigate life. I, exactly. I was being held back by their knowledge of the world. Exactly. And, and exactly. I, I've had the same thought you've had. Like, I wonder what I would have been if, mm -hmm. except I know enough about where I came from to tell you that that was no great shakes either. So, mm -hmm. so my intellect, like whatever's happening in my mind right now, my ability to deal with life um, was not fostered as I grew up, but all of the problems that that were created by that yeah. are probably the reasons why I am who I am now. Exactly. Like you it know? was almost like fuel. And I think that is part of the reason why I am is I'm a very big dreamer. I look at things that I want and I don't just want them. I, I go after them mm -hmm. and I don't give up. And so when I see those things and I have something in my mind, I will fight so hard to get that, yeah. that I, I don't give up. And so for me, I, I see that as like the things that I've gone through and I, I, I don't ever want to experience that again. Mm -hmm. I and so to... I do everything I can so that 
I don't have to experience that again. I used to have this, um, I used to do it more when I was younger than I do it now, but I, I used to have this kind of mental exercise that I enjoyed where I tried to imagine what was beyond my understanding. Like I always mm-hmm. thought like there's so much that I get, right? And I know there's more than that. I know I'm not the smartest person in the world. I know I don't have all the information, <laughs> right? There are things beyond my understanding. What are they? And yeah. and, and how do I find them? And and how do yeah. I make them part of what I understand? And I know I'm not going to reach to the end of the earth with my understanding, mm-hmm. but I keep kind of trying to learn more than what I yeah. know right now. I feel like that's what you're doing, but you're doing it with living. Like you're you're doing yeah. it with like with like the like the common sense and big picture and sometimes focused picture ideas about how to be a successful person day to day. Yeah. yeah, and taking it moment by moment, yeah, you know, because yeah. that's sometimes all that we can do. And there are days, like as of lately, I've been <laughs> a hot mess and crying and like emotional and like processing all these things. Sure, but I'm also okay mentally. I'm just going through it. I can tell. You know, I, yeah, I can tell. So, so it's impressive. Oh my Thank god! You. No, no, seriously, somebody should be congratulating you every thirty-five <laughs> minutes. Somebody should walk up behind you, ring a bell, and go, Bailey, killing it. Killing it, Bailey, and then <laughs> just walk away. Uh, seriously, your daughter is going to have such a different experience than you do. Seriously. I hope so. Oh, no, and no, I no, think no. that's yeah. what most people hope for their children is that things are different. Yeah. No, of course. Yeah. So, but and I that's th- what matters most is if you're trying. Yeah. Well, oh, oh, Bailey. First of all, I'm having such a nice time with you. And I, I know people either believe me or don't believe me. I do not pre-plan these. Like, I swear to you, what I knew about this conversation was Bailey wanted to talk about resilience. That's all I knew about it, right? I, yeah. didn't, I And I didn't know about your eating disorder. I didn't know how you grew up. I didn't know about your A1Cs. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about anything. And so I'm having yeah. such a good time talking to you. But also, there's something about you. Like, you have, like, that old soul feeling because you're too young to be having this deep of a conversation. <laughs> You Thank are. You. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Really cool. I'm having such a nice time. But uh, what was I going to say? I just talked myself right out of my thought. Way to go, Scott. God damn it. <laughs> Lost your train. Oh, uh, no. Right I out had of the this... station. Oh, God darn it. I'm never going to think of it now. Ah, hell. It'll come up again if it's important. Um, oh, wait, 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 wait. Your daughter. Your daughter, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. You are going to, like, this, conti- this is going to continue. Your desire to understand more than you understand now, to do it right, to move to the next thing. Like the thing that's going to help your daughter when she's going to college, you don't even know yet. You haven't learned it yet. It's kind of exciting. <laughs> Seriously, because, because what I see from you here is the same thing that I see with people who are, who are going to figure out diabetes, but don't know it yet. So I, you know, I speak mm-hmm. with people on the show or privately about their type one or their kids or whatever. And there's yeah. this thing about people who are going to succeed that you can feel. It's um, it's a desire to get there, and it's a desire, yeah. to, and it's a desire to get there the right way, and not cheat, not not jump ahead or take a hand up or something, but to actually learn the steps so you can take the steps. And when I'm mm-hmm. talking to people, I often will tell them at the end if it's if it you know it matches with their personality, I'll say, hey, look. You don't know this, but you have the most important thing right now. You want to do this. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And you want to do this. Like your daughter is going to is going to benefit from your drive 
and from your desire to find more. You don't even know. Thanks. It. You don't even that know means it. a lot. Yeah, to me. I'll be dead by the time that what I just said came true because I'm very, oh, okay. I'm very old. I mean, seriously, I'm yeah. fifty, right? Your kid's what? How old is she? She's only five. Five, right? So when this kid, <laughs> when this kid's your age, I'm seventy six. I'm gone by then. You should see me. I can't last 25 more years. So um, I sit in this chair all day, Bailey. (laughs) The most exercise I get is kicking my feet while I'm talking to you. And once in a while, I lean back and sit up. Um, (laughs) But seriously, like she's going to like, I hope you remember my words. I hope one day you're at your daughter's college graduation and you think that old man on that podcast said I was going to get here. I really do. Yeah. It's really cool. And, you know, I think that goes back to what I was saying about the gratitude piece is just every now and again, I get so emotional. Like I was driving my car a couple of weeks ago and I, no, it was like a week ago. I was driving my car and I just started crying because I was just so grateful. And like, yeah, there are things in my life that are so hard right now, but I look at what I've gone through and I never would have thought that I would have my license or car or my daughter or these things that people just have that they, I don't want to say that they didn't work for, but like I had to go through extra hurdles in my life to achieve these things. And for me to have them, I will never not have that gratitude. And so it's exactly what you're saying. If, you know, my daughter graduates college, it will be the same thing of just that gratitude that I'm so glad that I didn't give up in my worst moments. They're hard because they're hard-earned possessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really are, right? You fought for them and and they yep. they're meaningful to you. It's the same way as um uh who's that? There's this really rich guy, and I heard him talking, he's old. All right, so everybody mm-hmm. just whoever the old rich guy is, you know who I mean. And uh <laughs> Warren Buffett? God damn it. Well done, Bailey. <laughs> so oh. Oh, yeah, I I <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> I heard him talking to these kids and he said something about like, hey, I'm going to like, let's pretend for a second. I'm going to give you all a car. Um, But then he goes, but then let's and you can pick it out. Doesn't matter which one it is. But here's the catch. It's the only car you're ever going to keep for your whole life. And imagine you gotta how maintain it. Yeah. And imagine <laughs> how yep. good you're going to take care of it. Is, yep, is what exactly. And because it's meaningful, it means something. So in his scenario, it forces you into that position. But you were forced into that position. You didn't have basic yeah. things that other people get. You had to strive to get them, fight to get them, whether yep. it's your own health or a driver's license. And and now you have them. They, they're they meaningful to you because of the effort you put into finding them. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Who knew we were yeah. going to have this conversation, Bailey? Yeah. Awesome. It's good. It's a good, good conversation. You think we're doing okay? Yeah, yeah, I think we're doing great. You're not yeah. like you're not like thinking like, oh, this guy's an ass. I shouldn't have done this or anything like that, right? No, no, okay, no cool. I'm right. enjoying it. I think that I I like to talk about what I've gone through, mm-hmm. um, and not in the sense of like, oh, I want the attention on me, but I like to talk about it because I want people to realize that in their hardest moments, things get better. It just takes time, and you have to be able to push and fight. And I. This, my I don't know if like my personality type I am just like everybody's biggest cheerleader like if you're gonna do something I will cheer you on even if I don't like you I will still be kind to you I will still cheer you on because that is just the type of person that I am because I believe that everybody can do what they want to do they just have to 
fight and work hard enough for it. Yeah. And sometimes it has to be thrust on you. So you have to prove it to yourself. Exactly. And sometimes we do it to ourselves where we have no other choice. And that is just part of life. Yeah. You're making me think of episode 303. It's called Do Hard Things. Mm -hmm. Um, This woman comes on. Her name's Anne. And she, it's a, it's a crazy story, but she came on to tell me about how she was a listener of the podcast and how it was helping her Mm -hmm. kid. She's super excited, taking her son to the endo appointment, um, Mm -hmm. I think near Christmas and there's a snowstorm and they have a, like a horrific car accident and her, and her children, her her children die in the car accident. (gasps) No. And, and, um, and she, she tells, she's on the show just kind of out of remembrance of him and and she, yeah. she comes to tell me that she still listens to the podcast. And if she's still listening, I hope she hears this. Um, because she said that listening to people talk about their diabetes actually makes her feel closer to her to her one son. Oh. And, and and but anyway, she she talked about the boy and how um her son's names were uh, Adam and Alec. It was one of the hardest conversations I've ever had in my life. And um, Yeah, I and, can imagine. And how um, he had, I think when when his, if I'm remembering right, when his teacher was remembering him, he talked about how um, it was possible to do hard things, that people could do hard things. And then I think she always thought she was talking about, I don't know what she was thinking about, but when I was listening to her, I kept thinking, but Anne, you're doing the hard thing now. Yep. And, and, and um, yeah. you know, I just think if she can get, like, if she can get up every day, after that happening to her, yeah, we mm-hmm. all can figure out whatever our thing is and do that yeah. hard thing, you know, because I can't imagine much worse than that, honestly. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely terrible. Yeah. And I know that- I'm very sad. Yeah. I know your thing and her thing don't need to be compared and I'm not doing- No. I'm not doing that. No, no, yeah, no, yeah. no, no, I'm, no. I'm saying that, I'm saying that within us somewhere is the, from, mm-hmm. is the ability to do that thing. Exactly. It's that resilience, being able to find your own resilience and and hone in on that. And And not give up. And not give up is the most important thing is is to find your why. You know, like for me, I look at these things that I want in life and, you know, it was my daughter. I wanted to have a child. And then I, you know, like with my car, I wanted to have a car. I wanted to have my license. And then, you know, now I'm working on myself and I, I want to be the best that I can be. And then maybe down the line in the future, maybe I can have a healthy, happy marriage or, sure, you know, yeah. like buy a house or, you know, so those are things that I want that I'm not going to settle for, for you. because I'm going to fight for them. Yeah. And that's what's important for me. And in order to do that, I have to take care of myself. And you, so along the way, I'm going to be taking care of the diabetes right. and, you know, so did you tell me earlier you're using Dexcom or you have used it in the past? I have used it. Um, currently not. Um, <laughs> single mom in it up here, so my salary is very low right now. Are you um, are you uh, private so. insurance or are you using Medicare, Medicaid? Um, I am private insurance through okay. my work. Yeah, because it, it sucks because I think I think it's covered under Medicaid, Medicaid, I think, or Medicare. Is it? Sure. I, I don't know. I'll have to check into it and yeah. see. But so it's uh, it's just because I know it, you can be in a situation where you have insurance, but it's not good enough to help you 
Yeah. Get well, I have that. it, and I think that my insurance covers it. It's just very expensive, unfortunately. On top of that, yeah, you're you're. So, and that's another thing is I know I'll get that again in the future, and you know where I'm at in my life right now, like the the place that I live is a good, safe place. Right. Um, but I know this is not ultimately where I'm going to end up or mm-hmm. where I'm going to stay long term. I'm just here figuring out what I'm doing, and then. When it's time to move on, it's time to move on. Well, so if you, I'm not pushing you, if you're up to it, I think, I think you might enjoy listening to the pro tip episodes from the podcast. And even if you don't, okay. even if you don't listen to them with an eye on, I'm definitely going to make a change. I think just hearing the conversations might help you get your stability more stable and your A1C lower. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'll when we're done, I'll I'll send you a list of them so you have them. Um, I would love that. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, I think that could that could be beneficial. And then, like you said, you add the technology when you can, and then you yeah. kind of tighten the screws on it and, and get it closer and closer. Man, when I had my Dexcom, I was oh, my control was practically perfect. Yeah. It was great. It is very. I miss very it. Helpful. I miss it. Especially just it's so. just incredibly helpful. Even just using one of these new algorithms could could yep. cr- could drive you down into the sixes maybe without even knowing what the mm-hmm. hell you're doing. So exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh Bailey, I have to say two things. First of all I have to uh tell you that I don't usually record at night, but I'm really enjoying this. I might do this more often. I feel <laughs> so much like more relaxed. Like nice. during, yeah, during the day, I'm like I'm oh, all upright. Right, you can't see me, but I'm seated back pretty far right now, <laughs> and I'm having a good time. Yourself? Yeah, like people are always like, do them on video, and I'm like, yeah, I'm too old for that. You don't want to see that, but um, yeah, but I wouldn't mind somebody seeing me right now. I'm just like laid back. And the other thing, I just want to make sure, just ask you if there's, I can't imagine, but is there anything you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered? I don't want to cut you short because I am going to say goodbye in a minute. Uh no, I think we're we're good. You were, I recovered everything. You were so honest. I really appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Do, do, it's hard to talk about, but it if it can help other people, and it actually helps me to talk to people that understand. So, yeah. Do you think, I don't think this is an After Dark episode. I think this is just a regular, what do you think? That we didn't say anything like, we didn't talk about stuff that people would find like, oh, well, that's not things we talk about out loud. Like, like right? No, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I could have. But <laughs> I yeah, we'll do that when we turn the recording off. You can tell me some creepy stories or something like that. Yeah, but, nah, um, you're fine. No, no, no. Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't want to know. Uh, I just there's there's some weeks I get done. I'm like, I can't take other people's stories anymore. I'm like, I'm gonna crack listening to. There's just some of them. Yep. I put one out this week. This poor woman, uh, who was amazing on the show. Jen to comes mm-hmm. on to talk about uh, her son who had type one and he OD'd and, and he passed. Oh and she, my she gosh. She came on to talk about like addiction and I, wow. the, like whether that's her or you, I'm always, or anybody, honestly, I'm so grateful when people are willing to share their stories like this. I think, yeah. I think you're helping way more people than you would imagine, you know? Thanks. So, that's no. my hope. I hope that I can. I really you know? think, yeah, I really think you did that. And I'm freaked out that I just interviewed Max yesterday and now you're here yeah. and that you two did. She's not one of my it. good friends. I love her to death. She's amazing. When I talked to her, I put a picture of her up because she's like, she's just like, she reminds me of like a pixie or something. I don't know. Like, she's, Yeah, she's, she's adorable. I, I love her. That's so the word much. I was going to use. She's adorable. <laughs> she really yeah. is. A huge thanks to Bailey for coming on the show today and having that terrific conversation with me. And thanks to Omnipod as well. 
omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Find out more about Omnipod 5 or Omnipod Dash and get started today. I also want to thank Dexcom for sponsoring the show. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Go get yourself a Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor right now. That's pretty much it. I appreciate you listening. I hope you go to the T1D Exchange and fill out the survey, t1dexchange.com forward slash juicebox, t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox, excuse me. That's it. I got to go. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.